I received a text this week from a man in our church who told me that his daughter was returning home from college and she hit a patch of ice, spun out, hit a guardrail and totaled her vehicle. Um, he said the car was ruined, but she was perfectly fine. So uh, that, that's the good news, that, that she's fine, cars can be replaced, people, uh, people are fragile. And so he's just so grateful to have his daughter home. But it made me think back, my freshman year of college, I had a similar experience. I had gone 500 miles away to a Bible college in Norfolk, Nebraska. I was really seeking God for what he wanted in my life, and I had a great first semester. I really loved the classes, loved the school, and I was supposed to be back a week early in January for basketball practice because I played on the basketball team. And so I left my home in Wisconsin, drove through Iowa. I got about two, 300 miles into Iowa. I don't know exactly where I was. It had been drizzling that afternoon and the, the roads had turned to ice. I didn't know that until I came around a corner and the back end of my car swung out. And so I've learned don't, don't hit the brakes when you're on ice. Ride it out. So I started to ride it out. I was getting control but this is a little country road, no shoulder on either side, and I noticed a big van coming on the other side. I went, oh, no, this could be a tight squeeze. And as he began to pass, I thought I cleared him until the back end just caught the van and knocked me off the road into the ditch. I got out of the road, noticed um, the contents of my trunk were strewn across the, the highway. Um, my, my most valuable possession at that place in my life were my books. So I ran out, started scooping up all these books so people would run over them with their cars and ruin them. In fact, my Bible was one of them, and it had ruined the cover of it. So I kept that Bible years later. This is it. A friend of mine worked for a bindery and rebound it. But this, this Bible means a lot because it has all those highlights and underlines and notes from when I was in high school. But my car got totaled. And so I was uh, taken to a police station in town just to process things. They asked me if I wanted to make a phone call. I thought, I guess I'll call mom. You know, I called home. My dad works the night shift, so mom answered the phone. And she told me this. She says, I think dad could come out and get you tomorrow, but he can't take you to school. He doesn't have time to drive all the way to Nebraska, so he'd have to bring you back home. And I started processing that in my head saying, uh, and some of, you do, some of you know my family situation, um, I was on my own for college. So uh, I realized if I go back home, I have no way to get to college and I'm not going back this semester. So I told mom, I says, mom, uh, let me see what I can work out. So here I am at a police station in a little podunk town in Iowa trying to figure things out, and I was offered a little motel room to stay in for the night. And the next morning I looked at a map, and I noticed there's a, 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 on the map of Iowa, there's a city called Clarion. And I said, I know a girl from Clarion, Joyce Andrews, and she goes to school, and Maybe I can catch a ride with her family back to school. So I called them up, and sure enough, her family was very gracious. They said they'd come down, pick me up, and, uh, and I got to go to, to school with her. And uh, when I got to school, I realized, you know, I don't have a car now, and I have a job working at a fine dining establishment in downtown Norfolk, Nebraska. I flip burgers for McDonald's. So, <clears throat> and uh, I worked a night shift. So usually I closed, which meant I got out of there between 11 and midnight, but I needed transportation, so I had a few bucks. I went and bought a bicycle. Now, it was nice getting to work because it was about two miles or so, all downhill, all downhill. You could just get, get out of basketball practice, get out of my bicycle, my McDonald's uniform, and I could coast down to work, piece of cake. The tough part was going uphill the rest of the way on cold winter nights, sometimes when it's 5, 10, 15 degrees outside. 
And, uh, but you know, that's what I had to do. That's all I had. And you know, and there were times when I had to ask myself, God, is it, does it have to be this hard? I mean, I'm in Bible college. I'm trying to study your word, trying to do what you want me to do. Why does it seem so hard? Do you ever, do you ever have that experience where you thought because you're doing God's will that God would just kind of like lay out the things, kind of pave the way for you? And it almost seems like it's harder. You know, you, you try some projects, you know, maybe you've done a, a project at home or you went back to school um, and you go, man, Lord, this is a lot harder than I thought. And you know, it's really hard. This thing called marriage. God, I didn't realize marriage could be so hard, Lord. And then you have kids, this little bundle of joy. You're so happy you come home from the hospital and you spend the rest of your life saying, did I make a mistake? <laughs> oh man, this is, this is so hard. And and then they're adults, and they still make life so hard. And so life is hard. And why, why is it so hard, Lord? Why is it so hard? And I think there's something in the story of the birth of Christ that may give us some insight into what God's up to. So if you have a Bible, uh, open up to the, the Gospel of Luke, second chapter. We've been reading the story of, of Mary the last um, couple of weeks. Mary was visited by an angel, Gabriel. She's only a, probably a teenager, maybe 13, 14 years of age. She's told she's going to have a child, but not the normal way. The Holy Spirit's going to overshadow her. She's going to uh, conceive a child within her, and that child is to be the Savior, the promised Messiah that had been longed for through Jewish history. She's going to be the mother of that Messiah. And it's so unbelievable and so almost like ridiculous, she, she says, how can I know this is true? And the angel says, well, your relative Elizabeth is, is very old, but she's six months pregnant. And so she goes to check her out. We looked at that last week. She goes to check it out. And sure enough, Elizabeth, this older woman, advanced in years, as Luke says, is six months pregnant. And Mary goes, oh, my goodness. If the, what the angel said about you is true, then what he said about me is probably going to be true too. And so she's on this Journey. Now, we don't know much about the dude, Joseph. We just know that she's pledged to be married to him. He's a carpenter, and by trade, probably a, a, just a, a good old boy. He's just a good, hardworking boy. And they're, they're dreaming about their marriage and time together. But things have radically changed. Life does not go like they expected, because now they're on center stage of the drama of redemption. His wife is carrying the Messiah within her. And it says in those days, starting with um, Luke 2, 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, I, I look at the story and it, it sounds real sweet and simple, but there's a lot of gaps in the story. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff to read in between the lines that, that this had to be incredibly difficult for this couple to experience what they experienced and the way they experienced it. And, you know, I sometimes wonder, God, why, why is following you so hard? You know, if, if you're playing video games, you always start at level one, right? Be level one and jump up level two. I could do that level three. Okay, level four. And you keep working your way up to these higher and higher levels, levels of difficulty. You know, you ease into it. You grow into it. But it seems like God says, no, we're going to start you at level six. 
level seven. Let's just start right there. And uh, you wonder, why, God? Why are, we, why are you making it so hard? And I, and I think, you know what? God knows what he's doing because he knows that, that by making it hard, it really brings the best out of us. It's like what the military does at boot camp. Military doesn't come in and says, let's pamper you for the first week, hug you, give you a gift bag, you know, say welcome to the military. No, they says, okay, time to, time to whip you into shape. See, see what you're made out of. And when you pass the test, okay, now I'm ready for what's to follow. This has prepared me. And it's like God says, God says this, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. You go, oh, that's so hard. I thought all I had to do was ask Jesus into my heart. That's a little more than that. It's a lot more than that. It's you're willing to die for me. Because he knows if we give our, give our all, we give our best, then the rest of it we can endure and we can, we can grow through and we aren't going to fight God the whole way because we get it. We know um, this is the pathway to the greatest joy and God's greatest purpose for us. And so it is hard. It is hard. If following God, I would say, is a very humbling experience. It doesn't go like you would expect it to. And I want to share with you some ways that Joseph and Mary experienced that and show how it's very similar to you and me. For, for, first of all, God's timing can seem so inconvenient. Like, God, really? Really, Joseph and Mary are, I should say Mary, Mary's very late in her pregnancy. And this guy named Caesar Augustus issues a decree. Now, what I like about Luke, Luke is a historian, and so often in his gospel, he actually cites cities, events, and people by name. And it just tells us the real Christmas story is rooted in history. It's, it's real history. It, it, there's no flying reindeer. There's no magical elves. There's, there's none of that. I mean, nothing against the modern-day Christmas story, but that's folklore. That's legend. That's a lot of story and fairy tale. The, the biblical story isn't. It's grounded in real time with real people and, and real situations. And so this guy's name is Caesar Augustus, which isn't really his name, Caesar is a title, kind of like pharaoh or king or president. So Caesar is just a title. And Augustus is an adjective. It means the august one. It means the esteemed one, the highly revered one. In fact, the, we're going to find out later he was venerated almost as a god, the, the one to be worshipped. That's the Caesar we're talking about. Caesar Augustus. He was actually born with the name Gaius Octavius Thurinus. He was the nephew of Julius Caesar. Julius adopted him when this guy was a boy and handpicked him to succeed him on the throne. Now, when he did, there were three rulers at the time. And I'll make a long story short. Over the course of time, um, Octavian, who, that's how he was known at the time, rose to, to rule over all of them. He actually got all the territories under his own name. In 27 BC, he began his reign as the sole emperor over the Roman Empire, lasted until 14 AD. And so it was the longest run of any of the Caesars. He was a great political and military leader. Under him, the, the empire expanded. It went far west all the way to Western Europe. It went to the south all the way into uh, far reaches of the Middle East. I mean, all the known world at that time was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And it was a relatively peaceful area. There's a, there's a or era. There's a period of time known as the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. It was very very peaceful. They weren't at war with anybody. And during that time, uh, Caesar Augustus developed an, an immense road system that tied all of his lands together so people could travel from one place to another. That's going to be very significant as we look at the timing 
of this and what God did. Now, he calls for a census, and when a census was done, it was usually for two reasons, or one of two reasons. Number one was to find out how many men were of the age of entering the military. So if you could, if you could, you could survey the whole territory, you, you get a picture of how big your army could be if needed. But there was another purpose, which was probably more practical, taxation. They knew that they could tax people with the census. Now, this didn't happen every year. It happened every about decade and a half, but he calls for a census. And the Romans um, would just stay in their own cities and just register there. But the Jewish people preferred to go to their homeland because ancestry, family lineage was really big to the, the Jews. And so going back to the place of your homeland, uh, he's from the line of David. David is from Bethlehem, that's where their roots are. So Joseph needs to go back. Now, people have wondered, well, why did Mary have to go with them? I, I don't know. We don't know why she had to. It didn't seem like she had to go, but she's going to have a baby pretty soon, and she probably wants him to be with her when she has the baby. And so they're going to go about 85 to 90 miles, mostly uphill, from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and it's not going to be in an air-conditioned car. She's going to have leather seats all right <clears throat> on the back of a donkey. And she's, and she's to the later period of her pregnancy. I mean, she's in the final weeks, if not days. And I can imagine Joseph saying, oh, Lord, really? We've got to make this trip now? Couldn't this have waited another month or two? Or couldn't this have happened two months before? Why now? Why us, Lord? Why? What are you doing? Why are you making this so hard? Your girl that you got pregnant is going to have your son. It's your problem. I'm just saying what Joseph might be thinking, okay? <laughs> Not saying he said it, but I mean, if I was Joseph, say, really, Lord, come on. Come on. This is the way you want the, the Messiah to be brought in the world? We could be traveling by donkey and get halfway between here and Bethlehem out in the middle of nowhere and her water breaks. What are you going to do then? Lord, really, this is not a very convenient time from his perspective. But according to God's calendar, it's right on schedule. Now, there's an interesting verse in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. It says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whichever way he chooses. Meaning, it doesn't matter if that king's a believer or not. God can work in the heart of a king and prompt him to do the things that God needs done to fulfill his plans. And we saw this with Cyrus in the Old Testament. Um, sometimes he did this with Nebuchadnezzar. Here he does it with Caesar. Somehow God prompted him to initiate this census. Why? Because God needs to get this couple out of Nazareth to Bethlehem. There's no other reason they would have gone there. It's not like they said, hey, we need to fulfill prophecy. We better get to Bethlehem. No, the census gets them to Bethlehem, but in getting them to Bethlehem, they fulfill a prophecy that God had made hundreds of years before through the prophet Micah. Now, listen to this. This is, this is what God said long before the birth of Christ. He said, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. God needs to get the couple to Bethlehem. How is he going to do it? A ah, census. I'll stir Caesar to do a census. Joseph will want to get back to his hometown. That's how it works. Of the, of the 280 days, roughly, of the pregnancy, 
the one sliver of time where you'd want them to be in Bethlehem would be at the delivery point. And so they go down to Bethlehem, and while they're there, she has her child. This little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. It's a very insignificant town which seems fitting for God because God likes to choose insignificant things to do significant things. We've always seen that. Humble cities to do great things. Humble people through which God does great things. He's going, instead of him coming from the big city, he comes from a little town. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And Paul noted that this was just the right timing because when he wrote a letter to the church in Galatia, he said, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the fullness of time. It's like when time was ripe, when time was pregnant, God's plan was birthed. And you think about this. Never before in the history of the world had, had there been the means of movement like there was now in the Roman Empire. Because of the development of the road system, Christians will soon use those roads to take the Gospels all over the known world. Had they done that years before, they wouldn't have had the means. Now they do. They can travel. Because of the peace, they don't have to have conflict everywhere they go. There's not wars happening between, between um, regions. There, there's, there's a peace in which allows them to take the Gospel outward. I mean, the conditions are just right. There's a remnant in Israel waiting for God to do something. You, you read about um, Anna and uh, Simeon, who are anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And so there's a, a remnant that's waiting. And at this time of history, too, the Roman Empire had become kind of twisted. Not only were the political leaders respected, but they actually were worshipped. They were revered. This name Augustus was actually a, a, a word that could be uh, used to say someone was holy. They were divine. And so these, these Caesars began to be seen not just as earthly leaders, but spiritual leaders. Their, their faces were printed on coins. Statues were made of them. People were to call them Lord. In fact, there's an inscription that archaeologists found that um, it, it says uh, of Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, Savior of the world. Caesar Augustus, Savior of the world. Isn't that ironic? Here's the guy who's on the highest seat in Rome, emperor over a vast area of land, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and he's going to be usurped by a little baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, the true Savior. You know, sometimes we look at God and go, God, really? This is not a good time. Maybe you're going through something like that. Maybe something has happened in your life. God, this is, timing's just really off. I have a, a niece who's worked for a medical company back in Milwaukee for years. She's been a really good employee, rose up the ranks. And so this year she had an opportunity to take a team of hers, move to Minnesota with the company. And so she did that. She left her comfortable area with all her friends and family. She moved to Minnesota in Minneapolis area. A month ago, she finished painting the house and was getting everything all set up. And then two weeks ago, got noticed that her and her whole division are being shut down. She's being released from her job. She just made all, this, all these changes for the job that she does not have now. And so um, to say bad timing is an understatement. Right before Christmas, right after she just up uprooted her kids from school and, and moved them, and yet I, I, I like some of the things she's been putting on her Facebook post. She says, 
I believe everything happens for a reason. I'm looking forward to what 2020 will bring. And then she quoted someone else and says, make the most with those who mean the most. Rather than fight when timing doesn't work your way, maybe it's time to step back and say, God, are you up to something? I'm not saying that God caused all those things that happen. Uh, sometimes other people have bad timing. But in the midst of that, even though it's inconvenient for us, it may fit perfectly into God's timing. Trust him. Trust God. It's humbling to do that, but it's worth doing that. Secondly, other people won't always cooperate with you. Joseph and Mary arrive, and I'm sure just like I felt when I've driven hundreds and hundreds of miles on vacation with, with kids, that when we finally get to our destination, there's three things we want. A good meal, shower, and a comfortable bed. And if I can get those things, I am ready. I'm just ready to rest. Think about Mary and Joseph. They get there, long journey. It's been bumpy. She's tired. It's not been a pleasant ride. They finally get to Bethlehem, and door after door they go to saying, I'm sorry, no vacancy here. I'm sorry, no, no room for a, sorry, no vacancy here. How many did they go to? Five, 10, 20? You know, and it didn't say there's no bed available. It just says there's no room. Now, that had a whole new meeting when I went to Myanmar last year because we were at a conference with about 350 people, very poor people, who traveled to be at this conference. They didn't have money to pay for lodging. And so I asked someone, I said, where are all these people staying? And they said, anywhere they can. They're, they're staying with church members. They're, they're staying right here at, at, with the pastor at his house. And so I went over to the pastor's house, went upstairs to look at one of the rooms. I kid you not, they're, they're laying on the floor with these bamboo, like little bamboo um, mats just rolled out. They're not cushioned. They're just bamboo uh, laid out. And there's about 20 to 25 men, bamboo mat to bamboo mat all over this floor, and they're getting ready to, uh, to bunk for the night. And they're all happy because they have a place to stay and it's free, but, but they're there. I, so when I think of there's no room, there's probably, when you think of the influx of people in a little town like that, they're sleeping everywhere. We don't even have a rug for you, Joseph. We have no place for you guys. My wife asked me, she said, if that was Joseph's like, place of birth, surely there were some relatives there that, that he could have called on. And Yeah, but you can't call them and say, hey, we're coming. You, by the time they showed up there, even if there were relatives, they probably showed up and, and Mary's frequent stops. They finally get there. Everyone else has beat them to the door. And so by the time they get there, all the places have been taken. Oh, we didn't know you were coming. We heard Mary was pregnant. We had no idea she'd be coming. Or we would have saved a place for you, but sorry, we don't have any place for you. So anyway, there's no place for them. And if, if Joseph would have known that God can take the heart of a king and kind of turn it this way or that way, I'm sure he would have said, God, can you take the heart of an inn owner and just kind of turn it this way or that way for, for us? Why is this becoming so hard? I mean, the journey was hard, but now this is hard, and we don't even have a, a place to stay. It made me think of uh, when, when I was an intern at the church in Arizona. For two years, I served as an intern in children's ministry, and I was making a whopping salary of $9,000. And so, uh, but I fell in love with the woman that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, and I proposed, and we planned our wedding. Fortunately, um, the pastor said he'd do the wedding for free. The, uh, the video department of the church says, hey, we're testing out our equipment. We want to videotape your wedding for free. Um, the, the children's volunteer says, hey, we're going we're gonna to pitch in and buy your cake. I mean, we didn't have much money at all. And, and the money I did have, I saved for the honeymoon. So I had reserved a place. Up in Sedona, if you've ever been to Arizona, Sedona's a really pretty area, pretty red rocks. Um, there, there was a kind of like a bed, there was a, a little um, cabin with a balcony over Oak Creek. 
And uh, I saw the pictures of it. I said, now this looks really romantic. I mean, it's a, it's a big place. Um, we could open up those doors at night, hear the creek, you know, underneath. And it's just going to be so beautiful. And our, our, our night together, it's going to be just so wonderful. And, and so we look forward to that. And then just a few days before the wedding, I get a phone call from the manager of that place and says, hey, um, we know you booked that for, for Friday night, but um, someone else wanted it for the whole weekend. And so we've moved you to a room that's on the roadside. And, um, and so hopefully that'll be okay. I says, no, that's not okay. This is my honeymoon. I am not staying in a hotel facing a street. So, so we just canceled that. And I says, Lord, I, I, I don't even know what we're going to do now. I canceled that thing. Um, and it's four days before our wedding. And word got out to an older couple at our church that, that had a cabin in Payson, Arizona. Payson also is up in the mountains. No, no running water there, but it's a, it's a pretty place. And when I say cabin, I've learned in my mind, I always thought cabin was like a little uh, Abe Lincoln kind of building out in the woods with the, with the fireplace and, and maybe a bedroom. No, these are like houses in the mountains. So they actually let us have their house in the mountains for a week for free. And so God worked it out, and uh, we had a great uh, uh, honeymoon week. And then we settled in this little 990-square-foot home that had two bedrooms. And we raised our kids in that little place. Uh, it was tiny, but it was just right for us. The, the living room could seat four people around our little round table. And in the kitchen, you could only have one person in at a time because it was just so tiny. You know, if you wanted to get in the refrigerator, someone had to leave so someone else could get in there to open up the refrigerator. So it was just tiny. But you know what? We learned so many lessons during those early years of, of being creative, of, um, of finding good deals. Uh, we didn't have cable TV and those things, so we learned just to spend quality time together. We learned the value of friendships. And I would say maybe the, maybe the biggest lesson we learned during those early years was to, uh, to, not to not to be disappointed for what we didn't have, but to be grateful for what we did have. Amen. And I, I bet a lot of you, when you were in college or you first got married, you says, man, this has gotten to be so hard. This is harder than I thought. And God says, yep, level five. We're, starting, we're going to start at level five. And you go, oh, God, I didn't know it was going to be this hard, marriage and kids and all this stuff. And, uh, but you know what? You start to forge some lessons that then carry you the rest of your life. They lay a foundation that helps, helps carry you the rest of the journey. So even though other people may seem to be getting in the way of your plans, God is still doing something great. You know, I think of how Joseph and Mary weren't welcomed when they came in. It wasn't like people were... We're like, hey, we've been expecting you. The son of God's going to be born. We can't wait. Stay in the nicest room. No, nothing like that at all. It's, we don't even know who you are. We have no idea what's going on. I mean, when Jesus was born, it was this like secret event that happened on the side. And God had been preparing the Jewish people for hundreds of years. All these prophets telling them that there's a king coming. There's the one who fulfilled the covenant to Abraham, you know, He's going to set up an eternal kingdom. He'll bless all the nations. I mean, this guy's coming. He's coming. Be prepared. Get ready for him. And so when Jesus comes, they're not ready. In fact, in John, John writes this in 1 John chapter, or excuse me, in John chapter 1, he says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Of all the people that should have been like waiting for Jesus, they're not. And when they heard about him, rejected him. Think of how devastating that is. I'm here. 
I'm here. The one you've been waiting. The one you've been wait. The one you you aren't waiting for me. Oh, they weren't. They were looking for someone else, different image. Thought he'd look different. Thought he'd act different. They they didn't believe in Jesus. They rejected him. Came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, I've learned that I can't control the people around me and get them to do the things I think God wants them to do to make my life easier. But I know this. I, I can control my own decisions. If there's one decision that I've ever made that's the best decision, it's that right there. If you receive Jesus, if you believe on his name, you become a son or daughter of the living God. And I did that when I was in high school. It changed the rest of my life. See, there may not be a place for for Joseph and Mary in a, a room in an inn, but I'll tell you this. There have been people back then, some, and even today, some, who says, I've got room right here for you. I've got room here for you. And you get to make that choice. See, other people don't have to control your choices or your destiny. You get to choose that by choosing Christ. And so the time came for the child to be born. And it's interesting that Luke is a doctor. I don't know if you knew that, but Luke is a doctor. And he doesn't say hardly anything about the delivery. He just says the time came and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Um, wrapped him up, laid him in a manger. Sounds really simple, but... I just have to wonder, what are all the details? You know, what's the timetable? How'd that night go? What was it like? Because I have a, a strong feeling that this is not the image that they envisioned when they knew that Mary was carrying the Son of God. And that's true for us. A lot of times the way things play out aren't, isn't what we pictured. Isn't, God, I didn't think it'd look like this. So I grew up getting these Hallmark cards or seeing these children's books that have pictures of the nativity. And and it's, there's a warm glow in the room. There's a lantern hanging. There's nice fluffy hay in a manger. The baby's wrapped up tight, just laying in there. There's, there's Mary. I mean, Mary looks like she just got back from the spa. I mean, she's, she looks beautiful. She doesn't look like some tired woman who's traveled 90 miles on the back of a donkey. She's, she's refreshed. She's, she's like fresh clothes on. She looks really pretty. There's Joseph. Joseph looks strong. Uh, he, he, looks, he looks calm. His arms are around Mary. And... Uh, and the animals, they're all behaving. It's like, it's like the animals are just, just like, can we peek at this? I mean, the lambs are there and the cows looking in. And the, the shepherds, they're all just adoring the baby. And then the, some pictures even have the wise men, which we know didn't come for two more years. But they get squeezed into the story. There's always three of them because there's three gifts. And they're there and they're worshiping the baby. It's just this beautiful scene. And I, I don't... I'm not criticizing you if you have a nativity scene with all those characters. I mean, it's traditional. It's, they're part of the bigger story anyway. But if you just go back, I don't think it looked like that in reality. For example, uh, we have a horse, and I built this barn for the horse. And I've been out there in the place where the horse walks around. And never once have I said, this would be, this would be a good place to sleep for the night. <laughs> never even once even dawned on me. I don't even want to eat a meal there. I mean, when it's warm, there's flies all around. I mean, it's smelly. It's dirty. 
And the, and the thought of having a baby in that place, I mean, there's no room in the inn, but uh, all, and it doesn't say there was a stable. All we know is there's a manger, and that's like a, a, a big clue. A manger is a feeding trough. Some are made out of wood. Some are made out of stone. But it's a feeding trough for animals. See, if you go to a motel today, like if you're traveling, you stop in a motel, where, where do you put the cars? Parking lot or carport, you know, there's a place to park the cars. When they went to an inn back then and they didn't drive their car, but they rode a camel or a donkey or a horse, where do they put the animal? They had a place. Uh, uh, some call it a caravansary. It's a place where the animals were parked. And so you've got a, a place for them to eat. You probably have water for them to drink. And I just know animals, they kind of do their business there. So it's messy and stinky and drafty and smelly. And it's not the place that you'd walk into and go like, hey, this looks like a great place to bunk for the night with our kids and good place for my wife to have a baby. I mean, it's just not pretty at all. It's not what they envisioned. And then I started thinking through, how did it play out? Like, did, <laughs> did Mary go through what, what a typical woman goes through? I mean, did she go through some maybe hours of labor? And I think of poor Joseph. I mean, Joseph's probably 15 years of old age saying, what have I gotten myself into? Like, you want me to be the midwife? I mean, did he go get a, a, a cloth and, and, and get it all wet and wipe her forehead? Or if, if I were Joseph, I'd be going, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? Well, do what now? Oh, my goodness. You know, he's pacing around because there's a baby coming out of her. And what do I do? And how do I control? Th- I mean, it's. We don't know of anything. We don't know there's no nurses there. I don't know if there's any help. It's just Joseph and Mary, and then there's the baby. <laughs> so they get the baby, and they wrap him up in cloths. Some of your Bibles say swaddling cloths. That's just a word meaning tightly wrapped, like the burrito. You know, put, wrap the baby like a burrito because they're used. Baby's been in mother's womb like this for nine months. So it's just natural to, to, to feel like that. They're not used to having arms going like this. So put them like that and wrap them up. And, they, and so Jesus probably got wrapped up and they did something which I thought kind of interesting. They set him down. Like most moms I know want to hold their baby for a long time, but they set him down. I'm just thinking maybe Joseph and Mary were so exhausted and yet so grateful. I could picture Mary just weeping and Joseph holding her. And they're looking at the baby saying, it's here. He's here. And how they felt that night. I mean, it's not what the pictures portray, but I think that's probably more realistic. It's, a, it's not the place you'd necessarily want to have your baby in, but it's a place that God shows. And why did he choose that place? Messy, unwelcoming, noisy, chaotic, drafty place. Maybe it's a microcosm of the world Jesus is entering. That's noisy, Stinky, full of stuff. And that's the world. He says, I still am willing to come into that world to do my saving. I mean, that's the grace of God. Comes into our mess. I mean, when I look at, at where many of you are today, I know you're not where you thought you'd be. I know things haven't turned out like you expected. I, I know the, the page turned and you said, I never thought it would look anything like this. Uh, some of you, it's better. Some of you, it's worse. Some of you, it's hard. Some of you are going, God, why? This is so hard. You know, I, I lost my love, and it's so hard, and it's so painful, and Christmas is so hard. God, why is it so hard? But I need you to know that God is working good out of this. 
The God is at work. This past week, Andy Lavalley, who leads a ministry that goes in the prisons in El Paso County, actually El Paso County and Canyon City, and this week he said they got to do the first, for the first time ever, Christmas parties in the prison for these boys. Now these boys are age 10, you know, up to 15, 16, 17, 10-year-olds in prison. And he said it was just, um, it was just so beautiful to have these boys together singing like Silent Night. And he said, for, for a moment of time, it just felt like their life was good. Their life was peaceful. And I thought about those boys that can, does any little boy ever think, one day I'm going to spend my Christmas in a prison, in a, in a, in a jumpsuit. Someday I'll be in a detention facility or I'll be in a rehab facility. How many kids grew up thinking that? That's not what they envisioned. That's not what they pictured. Yet here they are. And Andy said that as they began to share a prayer request, his heart broke because the boys shared their fear and their pain and their shame. And he said, it, it feels sometimes that we who go into the prisons are holding, are trying to keep a candle lit in a hurricane. But he says, We're, we'll be back there again and again because that's what Jesus did for us. You know, uh, Pastor Sam sent me a, a quote from C.S. Lewis here recently. C.S. Lewis said, We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. And maybe for you it's been hard. It's been really hard, real painful. But you know, whether, whether you feel like God's been off in his timing or other people have gotten in the way and messed up God's plan for you or things just aren't, aren't playing out the way you envision them, I want you to know this. God is weaving a beautiful story out of your life because history is his story. There is only one in charge, and that's God. Jesus is in charge. And it's a beautiful thing when you surrender your life to him and say, I can't control hardly anything. Would you take control? See, he's for you. You need to know that. And your circumstances, the events you're going through, the pain you're experiencing may not feel that way, but God is for you. And all God's plans for you are good. Even in the most painful things, he says, I will bring good for you and glory for me. And so today, as we think of the simple Christmas story, I want to urge you just to come to Jesus. Put your trust in him. Let him take that mess of your story and let him make a beautiful message out of it. So go ahead and stand. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to be available up front here. As we're in this position of surrender before the Lord, maybe you have something to surrender to him today. Maybe there's pain that you need to surrender to him today. Maybe there's fear, regret that you need to surrender to him today. Or maybe bigger, maybe it's your life you need to surrender to him today. Our prayer partner's up here to love on you, pray with you, help you get close to God. For the rest of us, let's worship him as we sing this song.